On today's podcast, your hosts, TC and Chris Nicole, discuss their philosophy on power building and which clientele can best benefit from that style of training. Here we are on a, another episode of our Reckless Training podcast. Currently, we don't have a name for it, so that's <laughs> it's a baby with no name. But uh, we wanted to make sure that we were stayed on top of recording some content so that when we do name this thing, I mean, obviously, if you're listening, it has a name. It's been well thought out and it's launched. So today is a topic that it's fairly new to me. Um, I've always lived in the bodybuilding world. Okay, not always, but since... Well, for your, you know, <laughs> yeah. professional athletic As far career. back as yeah. I can remember, a whole five years. Um, but it has been something that I think innately has been part of your regiment, TC. So yes. now we just have names and philosophies, putting the puzzle pieces together and have developed a specific style that I've been the recipient of and I've seen a lot of good results. So I'm excited to talk about it because I think there's a lot of questions around power build or powerlifting versus bodybuilding and how to set up your training. Can you, especially for a woman, like, can you be strong but not look huge and blocky? Can you, and for like males, can you really achieve that? strong physique but also look good i think we kind of touched on that in the last podcast so that's my long-winded intro yeah. so why don't we just get right to it yeah so you found a definition of power <laughs> I googled it online yeah, yeah you want to go mean, ahead and read that there's not an actual definition as of right now yeah, I would say it's a relatively new phenomenon. I mean, okay, so going back in time to the original Mr. America competition, um, that was a true power building competition, right? There's bodybuilding show, there's powerlifting, but also actually with the initial Mr. America competitions, there was a social aspect as well. And it was like, you know, how good, if you're a good citizen. So what? it was really like truly, yeah, it was like a Mr. America, like kind of like a beauty pageant kind of thing with a strength Oh, cool, aspect. okay. Yeah, so that was, I mean, you know, back in the day, and then people got more and more specified in their training and, and their desire for, you know, what they wanted to pursue. Um, so they kind of branched out, you know, you got bodybuilding competitions, you, you're not going to be an elite level powerlifter, and also an elite level bodybuilder. Um, that's kind of, you know, the rhetoric that's put out there, which I would say it's true, you know, you can do anything, you can do one thing exceptionally well, you can do two things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay <laughs> and you can do three or more things poorly um sure. yeah so i think that that is very important to remember so a lot of people also have you know full-time jobs mm -hmm. they have families so your lifting is not just you know the only thing in your life so even if you're going to say well okay so i can do two things pretty well so i'm going to do bodybuilding and powerlifting you forget about the fact that okay then you also have your job you also have your family You'll save your day-to-day -day life that you have to take care of. So um, I just kind of went off on a rambling spout. Let's let's back up a little bit. And okay, you can go ahead and so read that definition. So the first definition, definition that I found when I Googled 
is uh, from, I think it's a training website. Everything is, if you Google what is power building, uh, this definition did come up for me first, so I'll read that one. It says, power building is a blend of the three main powerlifting lifts. So that's your squat, bench, and deadlift, combined with bodybuilding accessory and volume to evoke more muscle growth and development. And then it goes on to say, the idea is why not have the strength of an ox and the physique of a Greek god? They just described UTC. <laughs> Perfection. <laughs> Wait, no. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't saying that. <laughs> um, so, okay, so that's, you know, really not a terrible definition. I would say it's probably uh, incomplete in terms of the intentionality that we put behind mm -hmm. our programming here at Reckless Training. Um because I, I would take it a step further because powerlifting teaches you maximum exertion. And I'm a big fan of reminding people that maximum effort is a learned characteristic. It's a learned trait. Yeah, we it just had this talk this to do. Week as I'm trying to build up yeah. some strength. Mm -hmm. Like it's all heavy. It's hard. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot easier, in my opinion, to bring lighter weights closer to failure rather than picking some heavier weights that are it's like right near your failure point and forcing yourself mentally to go through the steps and and move that weight with perfect yeah. form so i think that powerlifting really has the opportunity to um kind of teach like you know physique athletes a different way of sure. training yes uh, but it also helps them to push harder in the gym with their other lifts because then you carry that same mentality over into your accessories. You you carry that same, um, you know, progressive overload mentality into your accessories and you're constantly pushing for more, whether it's more reps or more weight. So I think it's it has, I do you know, think, real benefit um, there. So for our audience, I'm a bodybuilder or a bikini athlete. I'm in the physique category, and when I met TC, he was strictly a power lifter. So we're coming from two different worlds, and our years together have shown a lot of crossover. So that's why power building is something that we really like to share and implement um, in our, our coaching styles. But I would agree with that about the um, max effort. I think that intensity was something that I didn't understand completely. Um, like I, my workouts were hard, but I didn't understand the level of intensity because I had never pushed myself to reach for that, like max effort, that end goal. Where's the line? Like I never went anywhere yeah. near that. I was just like, oh, okay, I'm tired. I have a pump. Like that was a good workout, but it's very different when you're asking, like, I just got programming this week. That was uh, a conventional deadlift with a three rep max. And finding that weight, I'm still on the quest for it. Because you think that mm -hmm. this is the weight where I'll stop at three. Because that's how you would define it, right? You you can't do another rep. You pretty much are exhausted after the three. Sure, yeah. So for, for your purposes specifically, I would say that you're actually looking for okay. a four rep max to use. You know, you want to leave sure. like one or two reps in the tank to sure. make sure that your four... We're, we look for yes. technical failure, okay, yes. not mechanical yeah. failure. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. so f like learning some of these different things that are programmed into my training is a lot of fun. It's a cool thing to focus on in my improvement season. I'm kind of like opening my rep, my um, I don't know what the word is, but 
I'm being more open to like different strategies and different training styles. So uh, I'm embracing sure, the yeah. power building just a little bit more, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, I was talking about the intensity factor. So finding that is something from my previous training as a bodybuilder was interesting to find kind of like leaning a little bit into the powerlifting pool. Sure. Sure. Which we kind of like touched on that, you know, over the years we've, Yes. We've done some max outs, you know, you've, yes. you've pulled some heavy deadlifts, you've done some heavy axle wheel or, or wagon wheel deadlifts. Um, we haven't done anything super heavy on squat yet, but you have been squatting, what, 150, 160, yeah. So, yeah. something like that for like eight reps. So, you know, 225 is coming there too. So it's, it's, we're in this off season, we're really pushing the weight um, for that maximum effort, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. For that reason. Um so yes so your philosophy about power building and what that means for you uh i guess we can go more into the details i kind of shared a little bit of like what training has been for me did i cut you off on no that's okay let's just uh kind of expand on that so yes. right now you're in your off season and um you are weighing we more than you did on stage <laughs> uh, sure. the number doesn't really matter right i mean you're you're up from your stage weight and as any competitor out there knows as soon as you are up from your stage weight you know it and you see it you see those blurred lines and you hated dieting but what? What but now I you done? hate reversing you can't hate all the phases you have to yes. find the things that so, you like about each one and focus on those exactly and that is kind of what you know that's another avenue that power building really gives to uh you know physique athletes mm -hmm. for your off season so now yeah you're getting a little thicker but first of all it's great like you look great but now you're starting to feel yeah. super strong and that is now you can chase those pr goals instead of you know your aesthetic goal like yeah. that'll come next year you're, you'll lean back out you'll be back on stage and it'll be like, you know, none of this ever happened except you yeah, have a ton more and muscle. And I think that when you go through a, a dieting phase and you've, and it's a long extended one, not even if it's a long extended one, if, when you're in the weeds of like low calorie, high activity, your workouts are less enjoyable. They're more of a, mm -hmm. like, they're more of a grind. They're more of, uh, they're less like, you get in the zone, you feel good about yourself. It's more like, okay, I need to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. You zone out a little bit in between. Where am say, I? Oh, when is my next yeah. meal? Um, yeah. So I think that when you come out of that, like I was very excited to be like, okay, I know that food is there. Training is going to be more enjoyable. That's one aspect as an athlete that I just love. I love training. So it was nice to have that back in my repertoire. It wasn't being sacrificed um, by, you know, extra cardio. Um, but yes, the scale definitely was something when, because you're, and I think a lot of athletes out there that are like that are in bodybuilding, they know when you have a show coming up, your goals in front of you are aesthetic. So the the scale goes down. You have you look just like grainy and like an alien, and you have all the veins and the cuts and each week you see a little bit more progress and that's validating. So while you're sacrificing the fun gym workouts and you know, here and there you have some really good ones, they surprise you, um, but yep. they're not as frequent. 
when you transition mm -hmm. into now I'm eating more food, uh, naturally, the body starts to put on a little bit of body fat and that's a healthy place to be. But it can be a little bit discouraging because you now have to realign your goals. So now my aesthetics are not my measure of progress. And so I think like re-shifting back into training and specific goals in that aspect has been really fun and um, has helped like my self-esteem and confidence too. And it's not just like going back and doing the same workouts. Like they're not the same workouts I was doing when I was in a dieting phase. They're, they're stretching yeah. me in different aspects. So it's a new challenge. And for that athletic mindset, um, it's just, I think, a very healthy place to be. And I've had clients message me and tell me while they're transitioning into their improvement season they're hitting prs they're squatting oh my gosh these athletes they keep me on my toes i'm like you're squatting what okay <laughs> dc i need to <laughs> i need to do better um but yeah i just went on a tangent but no that's great it's it's great to hear your perspective on how you know this style of training has you know kind of changed mm -hmm. your perspective on your own training and your own prep and your own like prep season, prep season cycle, right? And the the chapters of your prep career, so to speak. I like that it's different. Um, I just, yeah, yeah. It really, it keeps you motivated. It keeps you driving forward. Um, and it, it kind of, like you said earlier, it gets you through the weeds of both aspects of the prep. So like the cutting, because, you know, like you said, during the cut, you have the, the, the yeah. shreds to look forward to, but then you reverse, you yes. have your PRs to look forward to. So, and uh, I just recently did my first bodybuilding show. And so Chris is uh, looking for her first powerlifting <laughs> meet to sign up for. <laughs> conveniently took a swig of water at that. Perfect timing. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. If you're on YouTube, you can see yeah, my face. So, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, in all seriousness, it, it has, you know, definitely been very beneficial for her mentality. Like I, I've definitely seen that. Um, and that's not to say that all of her workouts in her, you know, reverse season have been right. good. Like this weekend, right. you know, two bad workouts in a row, you know, but it's, you, sometimes you're just in a mental space that doesn't allow for that kind mm -hmm. of effort and intensity. All right. So we talked about how it's good for a mentality in the off season and PRs and all that good stuff. But how is the style training still fulfilling the goal of a bodybuilder, which is primarily always to put more muscle on? Yeah. Hypertrophy. Yeah. Uh, good question. So, excuse me, hang on. Okay. So another way we, t we talked about maximum intensity, right? And we talked about how power lifts and, you know, finding your true uh, maximum effort numbers can help you mentally for that maximum effort intensity. Uh, the other way that it can help and the way that I use it in our training is I use it to, let me back up your muscle fibers for anyone out there who doesn't know each of your individual muscle fibers are all or nothing potentiated. Okay. So that means when you lift up this small packet of core nutritionals hydrate, um, you have a certain number of muscle fibers, just enough muscle fibers needed to lift this, but all of those muscle fibers are 100% activated. Now it may only be activating 2% of the muscle fibers in your muscle belly, but those muscle fibers are 100% activated. 
Now, when you lift heavier weight, you activate more and more muscle fibers to move that weight. Uh, you, you know, you move as you, you activate as many muscle fibers as needed in order to move the weight that you're trying to move. So the reason we work up to a maximum, uh, like a top set, so that we call it a top triple when you're looking for that three rep max, um, is to get as many muscle fibers activated uh, as possible. And now that those muscle fibers are innervated, they're more likely to be used in the future. So then we go to our hypertrophy, our volume sets, or our back down sets, whether it's 6, 8, 10, 12, 15, you know, however many you have, uh, ideally we're using all of those muscle fibers to lift that weight. And now you don't need to use all those muscle fibers to lift the weight because mm -hmm. now you've dropped the weight down, but you have that mind to muscle connection and you can actively try to activate and more I muscle fibers. This theory in the beginning, I was like, do not put more weight on that bar. <laughs> specifically a hip thrust yeah. this is what was happening do not put more weight on that bar i can't feel my glutes and i'm mm -hmm. reaching a point of it's just like my whole body is lifting this bar and i'm not isolating the muscle that i'm trying to focus on but did it anyways and you, you do but, those and drop that's what sets. happened is i got to a point where i was just like it was a, a high level of exertion and then pulled weight down and I was able to do more reps at a higher weight. And I felt like my mind muscle connection was like, it was lit up. Like that is exactly what I felt. I felt my glutes. It kind of was like, if you're looking through a camera lens, everything can be super blurry and you just like turn it to sharpen the image. And that lens like sharpened in on my glutes and I was hip thrusting a heavier amount of weight, like I said, for more reps. and. What an ego mm -hmm. boost when you get to that point. So it was that, yeah, yeah. that overreaching aspect, and then those drop downs. I love it. I love it now. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So the heavier weight gets all of your, you know, more of your glue fibers activated, so that when you come back down and you're being intentional about trying to isolate your glutes and really only use them for that hip thrust, now all of those motor units that have been innervated with the heavier hip thrust, now you can use those. And your body knows where to recruit more muscle fibers from if sure. it if it needs more. You know, it's going to keep sure. pulling from your glutes until they're used up, you know. But ideally, our drop-down sets, the weight we choose is perfect to where it's actively getting 100% of your muscle fibers in your mm -hmm. in your glutes for the hip thrust, for example. Uh, but not, you know, in, in excess sure. of secondary movers. And technical and failure muscles. is a really important thing. So I'm not hip thrusting as much yes. weight as I can yes. with this. I mean, it's probably not a completely beautiful form but it's not massively ugly and still mm -hmm. with that focus of of good technique correct yeah so in in i'm i probably don't put it in every single one of my exercise descriptions uh, but i'm going to say in the vast majority of them i say practice perfect form okay and, and the reason i say the reason i write it like that uh is because that's what we're doing every, every single rep is an opportunity for you to improve upon your technique and improve on your form and make it more beneficial uh, for building the muscles that you're trying to build with that exercise. So with every single set and every single rep, we should be aiming for that perfect form. And just like you said, you know, when you start to not feel it on your heavier sets, that's okay because it's a heavy compound lift and it's supposed to be teaching your body. So that's the third thing is it teaches your body how to work as one yes. cohesive unit. So uh, NASM has the regional interdependence model, right? And it's basically all that says is 
uh, in different parts of your body work together, you know, and sometimes pain transfers from other parts of your body and uh, your body's crazy, <laughs> your body's basically. Crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah. um, but it adapts right. to whatever loads you put on it, right? So whatever it needs to do, it's going to do. It's going to figure out how to do it. So that's where, unfortunately, where these some of these compensation patterns come from because your body is exceptionally resilient. Um, and you know, if you have a low back injury, you're going to figure out how to move mm -hmm. around that injury. You're going to figure out how to move around that pain. So, you know, a lot of times we have to uncover these movement issues. And a, a lot of times it comes from recording your heavy compound lift sets, right? It's a lot easier to hide these, you know, technique deficiencies and the, the length tension relationship imbalances in your muscles when you're doing lighter weights, even for compound lifts. But once you start putting more weight on that bar, man, it's it's gonna put a magnifying glass on all those point. compensation patterns. Yeah, technique I think is definitely something that you've honed in on and that's come from, you know, your desire to move the most amount of weight. And yeah. so small yep. technique, cues and pointers help make that lift more efficient. I would guess that's, I mean, I'm just making an assumption yeah. here and that is, uh i don't think some technique is something that gets uh highlighted or hasn't been highlighted as much in my bodybuilding training so people talk about proper mm -hmm. form all the time but they don't necessarily dissect yes. what it is and yeah. i was reading this uh, i think the book's called all about powerlifting or something like that um and it goes through like an interview with a guy and then a section about him describing the squat and training protocols for it and then an interview with another guy and then his you know theory and blah 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 and i thought it was very interesting that the first two guys on there were like polar opposites one guy said just squat that's all you need to do just squat and the other guy was a he was a mathematician a professor of mathematics and he said you need training frequency you have to practice the squat it's technical this that and the other and you know that the first guy was technically proficient in the squat. Otherwise, sure. he never would have squatted a thousand pounds, right? I mean, this guy's an obscenely strong squatter. Um, but because it just came naturally to him, he he isn't able to teach that aspect, right. which we've talked about before. You know, we we've talked about how it's the best teachers are those who struggled with conquering yes. whatever they're teaching, right? And before my injury. I've told you this too. I, I think yeah. it would have been a terrible coach because lifting just came very easily to me. So God blessed me with this low back injury and I've had to work through, I, I've found all these compensation patterns. A lot of them come from driving. So a lot of our clients yeah. have the exact same thing. Um, and I've been having to work through that to get my compound lifts back feeling straight and square and centered again. Um, but it's, it's all, it's been an incredible journey and and very frustrating sometimes but definitely very gratifying as well because i'm able to pass that information on to you and and the rest of sure. our athletes as well um, so. there's one more thing i wanted to talk about and then i we can transition uh in the opposite direction but i do feel like um another thing besides like technique focus uh is f like full body movements like powerlifting is a lot of using your entire body to move mm -hmm. weight yes move the most and, weight possible right that's powerless and yeah. uh and like bodybuilding can become it can it's not for everybody but it can become very isolated on specific muscle groups so whatever you're trying to build 
gets all of the volume and everything mm-hmm. else kind of diminishes because we don't we don't want big i don't know quads for bikini or we don't want yeah. Yeah. big biceps for bikini so we just hit shoulders and glutes yep. all day every day yeah obliques and another one yeah big so two. i think like yeah. doing some training that's asked my body um to work as a as a unit has been very challenging um but i've felt a lot of reward from it not just from like my physique Mm -hmm. feeling stronger and being able to actually isolate those muscle groups better because it knows how to work yeah stabilize right but also just from like day-to-day life um feeling stronger Mm -hmm. and uh right which is our goal and same for posing like if my body Mm -hmm. knows how to be rigid for a deadlift it's going to be able to hold me up on stage and so there's a lot of crossover there, but that's one thing that I would say, um, doing full body movements with aggressive weight has actually helped in those areas. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really good point. You brought up posing, um, which your compound lifts, uh, I would say they directly mm-hmm. translate to, you know, posing improvements because you're, yeah. you're more solid on stage. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, I, I feel like powerlifting training, now obviously powerlifting specific, you're not going to do that for bodybuilding. But, you know, some bodybuilders shy away from some of the compound lifts because they're afraid of, you know, overbuilding their, let's just say their midsection the and, and making yeah, it bigger. That's the one that a lot of people have mm-hmm. concerns over. I think what's really important to remember is how hard it is to build muscle. Okay, how much volume do you need to make your chest bigger or your delts bigger or your glutes bigger? And if you equate that to your abdominal training, if you're not doing a ton of extra abdominal accessory work and all you're doing is learning how to stabilize through your compound lifts, your rectus abdominus and your obliques are not going to get enormous. Your transverse abdominus is probably going to get a lot better, especially if you squat and deadlift without a belt. Because you're concentrating mm-hmm. on pulling it in to brace instead of pushing out yeah. into that belt to brace. Um, so there are some like some tricks like you haven't used a belt yet in any of your training. You've been doing, I mean, you're moving weight and you're not using a belt, but that's the purpose. And you can see that your core is so super solid in your training videos, which is exactly what we're looking for. Um, because that allows you to feel mm-hmm. things in different places. Like squats, for example, if you don't keep your hips under you, if you have weak adductors and you can't keep your hips under you to squat, you're not working the bottom of your glute max. It's just not happening, you know? So yeah, you're going to come out of the hole and that's why your butt rises first with a lot of people. You do the good morning squat. So it's, it's generally speaking, it's weak, weak adductors and then, you know, subsequently weak glutes because they're not getting worked. So all these things, all these factors come into play and come together to really create a much more well-rounded training protocol for the bodybuilding athlete. Um, we want to, as we've discussed before, we want to make sure that you are first and foremost comfortable in your body. So, you know, relatively pain-free on a daily basis. You can move. Um, you, you, you can perform any daily tasks right. required of you. Uh, your body is balanced. You know, we're not dealing with pain or anything in your hips or your low back from, you know, bending over a certain way or, you know, your, your traps aren't super tight. You know, you're not going to pull muscle when you sneeze. Um, so... And then, you know, we're back to the aesthetic. Yeah, when you have those days of long, like, 
activity spouts and you have low food so you don't have a lot of fuel coming in that's one thing that i noticed this year in my prep is i just felt better walking around and feel like i was just gonna fall over yeah Zombie. yeah like yeah. i have enough factors that are telling me that you know i could use a little bit more fuel or a little bit more um rest but i at least had a body that felt stronger trying to execute those things so um sure. okay let's talk about how because yeah and I, since we've been talking about training yeah. i think it's appropriate to kind of like just start there so you have been powerlifting. You also have done hypertrophy training. That's not like foreign to you. Yeah, I grew up reading Muscle and Fitness magazine, which is a bodybuilding magazine. Okay. Um, I My high school football and wrestling coach uh, was also the owner of 100% Raw Powerlifting Federation. So he's a big powerlifter. Um, so I kind of had it in my brain, but I, never, I didn't compete in high school. Uh, I kind of fell off from lifting in college. Um, and, and it wasn't until years and years later, so like, I don't know, five, six years ago, I, 2018, um, that I kind of got back into lifting and powerlifting again. But then you again. started, you know, you had the goal of a bodybuilding show this year. So how did that change yeah. for so you? So I've always wanted to look good, right? I've always hit the mirror, <laughs> the muscles, mirror muscles, so to speak. Yeah. So now having said that, I've always wanted yeah. to be strong. So in any training session... I pretty much exclusively used 8 to 12 rep range for every single exercise. And if I could do 12 reps for three sets, I'm going to open weight the next set. I mean, the next so session. So that kind of like, that was my hybrid approach in the beginning. And I think it gave me an exceptionally good platform to build off of uh, into a good powerlifting career. Um, so my very first powerlifting competition, I was an 83 kilo lifter. Uh, totaled six twenty-seven and a half kilograms. Uh, was enough to qualify qualify me for raw nationals. Um, so it's it's gone up since then. Um, but my training has definitely changed, and it's definitely because of that injury. So let's fast forward to when I injured myself. Uh, I was doing mostly compound lifts. I wasn't doing a lot of mobility work. Um, I was really taking that whole training specificity thing to heart and saying, this is all I need to do because this is all I want to get good at. And it was working. You know, I was working linear progression and shoot, man, if I wasn't just climbing up week after week, yeah, I had some plateaus, but for the most part, week after week, I was climbing up. And the very first thing that I did to incorporate bodybuilding into my powerlifting training was track macros. Wait, don't get into the nutrition yet. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Why not? I want to know how. Okay. Not just. Okay, so you just want training. Episodes about what I want to know. So okay. Yeah. Okay. So training. So fast forward, I got injured. Um, I kind of wallow around for a couple of years where I'm like trying to do stuff in a plan of fitness while we're driving around, and um, it's not really working. I'm banging my head against the wall because I yeah. just want to be a powerlifter. All I want to do is squat, yeah. bench, and deadlift heavy, and I can't do it because my back hurts, and now I can't do it because my hip hurts, and it's just, I was dealing with a, kind of an identity crisis. So I needed to mentally switch gears. So that was why I changed. And that's why I really put a lot more emphasis on my hypertrophy, hypertrophy accessories, my isolation work, and my body positioning exercises. Was it in an effort um, to get 
back to powerlifting? Was it an effort to just give yourself a different goal? Like what made you, I have to train so something. My, yeah, so I, I am kind of a yeah. carrot chaser, right? So I, I like having that goal at the end of the road. Um, but yes, it, it was specifically to give myself a time frame to say, okay, I cannot squat, bench, and deadlift super, super heavy for this time frame because I'm prepping for a bodybuilding show. And then by the time the show comes up, my body will be healed and it will feel solid and even again. And I can start, you know, doing heavy mm -hmm. SBD days again. So after my first show, I was, I'm not 100%, uh, but I'm definitely getting there. And I think I have identified all of my compensation patterns. Um, so we're making a lot more headway. And obviously, once the problem is identified, you can make a lot more. And you think that training style helped you hone in on some problems? I think the more relaxed approach oh, to my okay. training. It wasn't, I need to do this. I need yes. to do this. I need to do this. It was, well, I can't do what I want to do. So I might as well go in the yeah, gym and figure okay. something out. Um, and that was how my training session started. And for months, yeah, for months, that was the intensity level. And yeah, like towards the end of my workout, I'd, I'd feel a pretty good connection. I might get a little pump or something, but it was much lower. And man, if you try to get an athlete to work out with that intensity level and like, you know, tell them that your job right now is communicating yeah. with your body, it's not beating the crap out of your body, forget it. Yeah. That's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. So I try to incorporate that kind of stuff within the exercises, within the workouts that I program, uh, specifically for that reason. Um, but yeah, so as, as I figured more and more things out, cause how many times did I come into you and say, babe, I, I figured it out. I think I figured it out. It's I think still I it happening. Out. It's yeah. still happening. Yeah. Yeah. I just said it five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> but um, to your credit, you are figuring things out. Yeah. And every time I figure something out, it opens up the door to something else because for, for months, you know, after my low back stopped hurting, my hips started hurting. And then for months, I was just trying to stretch it out. And it would give me momentary relief, but nothing lasting. And sometimes it would be even worse the next day. So, like I said, we're finally getting somewhere. Um, I believe that, yes, the isolation work, the accessory work, the hypertrophy work has helped. Um, I think posing has been a huge boon to... Um, evening everything out again okay so from what i'm hearing the training helped you still have a goal in front of you still it, it helps you me identify the kinesthetic movement pattern compensations okay yeah yeah because you went in there with intentionality mm -hmm. uh so it wasn't necessarily like i'm just going to build a big chest now yeah it was more of I'm still trying to figure it out, you know, right, I'm still trying to figure right. out what's going on. That yes. was still my first goal. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but that training style was different than what you had done before. Sure. So and yeah. it was difficult, I would assume, shifting. It was it, kind of fun because I get to build, again, the mirror muscles, right? So now we're switching to bodybuilding. So now I get to focus on my rehab. So my scapula control, my upper back uh, mobility and strength and my glute strength my my hip mobility um and then i get to go do chest shoulders and lats <laughs> let's be real <laughs> tc has gotten stopped everywhere we go tc gets stopped <laughs> people need to like he's a piece of meat out yeah. there everybody yeah so i'm sure it's encouraging for people to tell you like 
leaning out leaning out has been fun you look good yeah or but the other thing is i've been working out for 20 years right on and off but i've been in the gym since i was 13 and i think a lot of people discount that like sure you know when i step on stage yeah it's my first show but i'm 32 and i've been working out for a couple of years so more than a couple yeah so yes i'm natural i'm a natural athlete um Yes, I've been working for a very long time. And yes, my workout sessions are exceptionally intentional and intense. Mm-hmm. So especially at this point where we're starting to ramp everything back up again, right? So I'm starting to squat heavy again. I'm starting to bench heavy again. My torso is starting to feel like one complete unit again. Um, so that shift in training has helped. Sure. You yep. bring back in some of those compound lifts. Yes. Great. Yeah. And talk to us about posing because that seems to have been, I mean, I've watched you and watch the videos of you posing over and over again. And it's another more light bulb moments, it seems like for you. So tell us how posing has actually helped you in some of your, how you're utilizing your body for powerlifting movements as well. Sure, so um, first of all, I have like, I'm not gonna say I have OCD, but I'm very particular. And anyone who's gotten a technique feedback video from me knows how particular I can be Yeah. Um, and I would even be willing to bet that I saw five other things that I didn't talk about in that video that I sent to you. Um, Thank you for not overloading me. (laughs) I just need to hear positive and correction. And yes. And all of our athletes, make sure you thank Chris Nicole for going through my beta testing where I did (laughs) just dump everything that I saw on her all at once. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We learned. We learned. Yep. Um, yeah, so I'm very particular about, you know, my eye for movement, uh, and also body positioning. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, I'm going to say it's relatively easy for me to look at someone's positioning in a picture or on stage and figure out what I have to do to replicate that look. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, it's not always easy because I don't have full control over my body yet. Correct. So like, especially my hips, my lumbopelvic hip complex um, still has a lot of issues and inactive muscle groups that are not responding to my call exactly the way I want them to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that basically just shines a magnifying glass on those issues, right? So now I know that I have to do a lot more work on my hips and opening up my hips and doing hip control stuff like hip airplanes and single leg squats and, um, you know, single leg glute bridge holds and all that, all stuff, all the super fun stuff, you know, like that for, for that hip control. Uh, and that's just one aspect. So the other thing is in my uh, lat spread, it's blatantly obvious that my right scapula is super stuck for whatever reason. And now I know I feel like some levator tension in my uh, right side. I know that I hold my phone in my right hand when I'm reviewing videos mm-hmm. and and my left shoulder goes down and my right one comes up because I'm tensing up as I watch, as I rewatch my videos, cause I'm thinking about bracing. And so I've recently started trying to hold in my left hand, pull my left shoulder forward because I have a, you know, my a backwards left hand lean. Uh, my left obliques aren't as activated as they need to be. So I've been so intentional with all of these tiny little everyday things that you don't even think about driving, sitting down on the toilet, getting up from sitting down and eating, uh, you know, writing, how I sit at the computer, mm-hmm. how I'm getting up off the bench, how I rack the weight on the bench. I always look to the left. I noticed that today I was doing de- uh, incline press. Do you ever get tired of looking at all of No, it's exciting for you. Yeah, yeah I love it. Yep. 
But like I've told you in the past, I really view this injury as God telling me, okay, these are your powerlifting goals. That's great. You can do that. But you have to be perfect. And you are not mentally mature enough to execute perfect technique mm. on these lifts. Um, now, having said that, I was recording myself. I was watching all every single one of my working sets I would watch back. Yeah. The only reason I went on Instagram was to look at elite level lifters and look at their form and analyze it. Look at their foot placement. Look at their ankle placement. Look at their knee placement, their hips, and their shoulders, and the bar placement on their back, and their head positioning. So I was exceptionally intentional, but not enough for what I want to do. And what I want to do is crazy you know but that's okay um we it's a dial and i'm someone you know me babe i'm gonna run until i hit that line i'm gonna run a couple steps past and be like oh crap that was the line yeah <laughs> i've done it a couple times let's wait for you to come back yep he'll come back <laughs> mm -hmm. so my dial is perpetually on 11 yeah 10 yeah. um but for athletes we dial it to wherever they need to be some of them are also on 11 with me and yes. some of them are just starting out and yes. you know they're on two or three just you know getting their feet wet right that's great you're on your own journey and you need to be exactly where you are mm -hmm. so that you can build into exactly where you're supposed to be yeah so so side chest <laughs> mm. so and you've gotten some posing uh, i've learned mm -hmm. from uh you know, Olympia posing coaches and judges. Yep. Um, so you're going through those positions and holding them and isolating muscles and tra And for those of you don't, that don't know, he's uh, men's classic. That's the category he is in bodybuilding. So you have to, to flex and control everything you're getting judged on everything entire body so and you have to do it all at once it's not like okay let's do an arm flex they're checking out your abs your chest your legs proportions everything so it's not just flexing it it's the illusion of making it most appealing yeah or aesthetic that's yeah. a very aesthetic yes. category i mean i think all categories have some aspect of aesthetics but it's the sculpture men's uh classic is literally like the greek god sculpture what everybody portions yeah, yeah yeah so have you noticed like with your sessions with posing coaches and stuff like that that you've uncovered some issues or um like what, yeah, what is what has that challenged you for your physique as well so first of all um, if you're a bodybuilding competitor and you have not had an in-person session with a good posing coach, you need to do so. They are a hundred times harder than your, than any of your hardest posing sessions. I don't care if you're in the sauna. I don't care if you're on the sun. It doesn't matter. Go to a posing coach and have them run you through these poses because they're going to have you hold it. And you're going to be trying as hard as you can for these people, right? You want to look as good as you can in this posing session. Yeah. This is, this is an Olympian athlete. This is a, you know, a professional judge sitting here, you know, help me out, give me cues, telling me what I should be doing. So I'm going to do it as well as I can. Right. And now all of a sudden you're sweating your butt off because like, holy cow, it's a full body isometric. You think a plank is hard? Yeah. It's a full body isometric contraction. And then he just tells you to get into your next pose. So you like breathe for two seconds <laughs> and then get into your next pose and then hold that one as hard as you can. 
So like you need you need to have posing sessions with with other people. Uh, it's just like having train sessions with other people. Yeah. They're gonna keep you honest. You know, on your squat depth, on you know your rep count. They're gonna have you get some forced reps in there. They're gonna say tell you to stop because your technique is trash. You know, like you, you, having another set of eyes on you uh, in prep for any show any competition is going to be beneficial i think most people don't hold their poses as long as they mm -hmm. need to when they're practicing by themselves because yeah. you are the one making the call of when you're tired or you don't want to all right i'm done i hit that pose yeah but a judge or a posing coach doesn't can't feel your feelings or your yeah. body cramping up they're just looking for the look and getting into that I mean, it's challenging you to get into that pose as quickly as possible, mm -hmm. to execute it as perfectly as possible, and then transition. Um, so it's like, literally like, here's the call, execute. So there is a big command of the body when it comes to posing, I think specifically in that category. And yeah, uh, shout out to your, you want to? Anthony Barber. Yeah. So Coach Barbs on Instagram. And uh... he's amazing. He did a really good job, although he made TC sweat so much he was standing in a puddle. Oh, my gosh. And then I tried to, like, shake this other guy's hand. He came in there. He, Barb's uh, training partner, Jake. <laughs> I wiped my hand off on my butt, on my underwear, and it came back more wet. <laughs> I tried. He was so, And he I was shook strange. his hand in his face. He was like, yeah, thanks, Dick. <laughs> well, they all laughed about it. But yeah, they, they they've been there. They know. They appreciated you know? Yeah. his hard work, but... Yeah um yeah and then you also got posing great posing advice from um yeah, it doesn't really advertise that he oh okay so. well ask your olympians your good and you don't have to be an olympian to be a good posing coach i just want to mm -hmm. preface that there are some really good posing coaches that know the sport judges that know the sport and can very quickly give you feedback and cues to yes. just yeah. completely transform your posing so um, and there are some people who are not pro or judges and they're just innately good at posing. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're good at coaching. Remember what yes. we talked about just because they're good. Doesn't mean that they're going to be good at teachers. Right. Um, for me, you asked about the posing sessions and, and what kind of things that uncovered, like when they would tell oh, me yeah. to do something and I couldn't do it. It was an eye opener for me that something wasn't working properly. And most of the time it was external rotation in my legs. Um, mm. I feel like I don't know if my, you know, quadratus femoris are not activated. Which is crazy because you're a sumo deadlifter. Yeah, but I've been, I kind of pulled back from sumo because I'm still getting that hip pain. Ah, uh, okay. And I okay. feel, yeah, I feel my hip does not bother me at all when I've worked external rotation in both my legs. Hmm. And now sometimes I work external rotation on my right leg and it bothers my hip because that hamstring that lateral hamstring muscle is trying to do that external rotation not supposed to that's not his job okay it could do it you know but that's what happens when like a secondary mover tries to pick up for a primary sure. mover job you know sure so i'm getting into this sumo position where your legs are super wide and now if you couple a lack of hip mobility with weak quadratus femoris muscles like you're it's just a recipe for poor form sure and, you know some rounded shoulders in there so i'm just not there yet i've Look, I've deadlifted 700 pounds since I've been injured. I've actually, I've deadlifted 765 last year, right after uh, that the meet that I did in February. Mm -hmm. um, just He's just throwing these numbers out here like they're nothing. Yeah. I but, just lifted a house. 
No, but I mean, that's so what I'm saying is like, I'm sorry. I'm just because you're in a roasting mood for PC today, everyone. (laughs) That's okay. We're used to it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but just because you're you're strong or you can move some weight doesn't mean that you're doing it as efficiently as you could be. Right. So I've pulled back a little bit from deadlifts. You, You and I both determined that squats have been doing, you know, immense benefits for getting our lats and our obliques and our abdominals reconnected with each other, mm-hmm. right? So we have a shoulder girdle and our hip complex, and they're kind of separated because of various injuries. You know, like your back generally hurts because you're scoliosis mm-hmm. and with my back injury. So like mm-hmm. your core gets turned off for a lack of a better term. Right. Um, so we're reconnecting everything. And because with the, bo- with the bar on your back, it pushes everything down and, and it gives you the opportunity to extend against that. So I'm building that back up. And, and once I get back to where I was on that, I'll probably start deadlifting again. Um, but yeah. Great job. <laughs> Thanks, babe. Okay. So do you want to talk about nutrition now? Sure. Now that I gave you the green light, yeah. nutrition, go. Yeah. So uh, by, uh, powerlifting nutrition for a bodybuilder. <laughs> yeah. Let's. <laughs> no, wait, wanna... wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Let's... Okay. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> powerlifting. So. I will say. That Chris has felt like pretty run down during some of her workouts, and I've picked on her to halfway tongue in cheek and told her you're that's because you don't have your fruit snacks <laughs> or my donuts. Yep. I listen. Powerlifters look like they're having a great they time the, all made. the yep. time in the gym. Mm-hmm. They have like there's sometimes I look over and they got a buffet. They have we're like, well fed. We're hitting PRs and donuts and they're like chatting it up like a social thing over there between sets and they're having a great time they're laughing they they just look like they're having time in their life and you look over on the other side of the gym there's all the bodybuilders staring at themselves yeah they got their hoods up their earphones in they're questioning all of their life choices (laughs) do i really have to tan again this weekend why am i suffering so much for this (laughs) listen yes um but so okay in all seriousness nutrition right yes yes (laughs) um so yeah the first year i met chris um i was working exceptionally hard to impress her with my (laughs) athletic prowess i was about to prep too for a show that year the year that we met i was starting to i was she she prepped for her tahoe show yeah i wasn't dieting quite yet when we met but i was getting close to that point like i was starting laser we dieted we had the ben and jerry's diet for a week you lost like five pounds Oh, that was just celebrating finding the love of my life. Yeah. All the the cortisol release. You lost some weight for <laughs> yeah, the like, Ben Jerry's diet. Ice cream? The first night, I was like, I'll just take a couple bites of yours. Yeah. By the end of that week, how much were you having? A lot. It was a celebration <laughs> of our love over ice yeah. cream. Yeah, it was great. But I did. I did actually lose weight. It was mm-hmm. wild. It so. was stress. But we've seen that, you know, since then we've seen stress like completely destroy any lines. Stress and, is and my physique, yeah. vein of my existence. Yeah. But. And it's, and it's kind of like we were talking about that podcast is perceived stress is most, most of our stress and where it comes from yes. and just kind of trying to shift our mentality, which you, you and I both have been doing a lot of work on that. So, mm-hmm. um, but, but yeah, so okay. you're impressing me. Yeah. So, um, you came down the first time you came down to go to, drive this make this six hour road trip down to my mom's house in north carolina yeah, i don't think people car. understand the weirdness oh my gosh of how we yeah met. it was very weird and i'm surprised you stuck around but i thank god for it every day uh, <laughs> but anyway she showed up i had a cooler full of food because look i prep food too <laughs> bonus um, points for that one <laughs> yeah so i up to that point 
I did pay attention to my like eating and when I cut weight it wasn't idiotic I didn't just cut out all my food for two weeks and and drop 20 pounds like it was over months time period like probably mm -hmm. six eight months I would cut the 20 or 30 pounds or whatever I needed because man I think at the time I was walking around I might get up to like 215 and then I would cut down to 183 for those meats that I did so at one point yeah, I got up to 235 yeah that was fun um, so that's not the nutrition that we're talking about. So let's rewind again because I keep going off track. Um, and back to the first year that we met, started out with a cooler full of food and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on the gas station trip down. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yep. And it turned into me cutting for that powerlifting meet in July. Yes. Which I ended up signing up for because I had signed up for raw nationals that year, but then it got canceled because of COVID. So I found one. It was in July. Um, I think I found it like a couple months beforehand. We cut. I got down to like 1,800 calories, had some glute striations. I mean, I was... I remember seeing that. I was... Well, I, I woke up the morning of at 187. And I had to sauna cut the rest of the weight. Oh, my gosh. It took me five hours to cut that four pounds. People do not do that. I lost 50 kilos off my total. I... Yeah. So I went five for nine. <laughs> I lost... I almost bombed out on squats and deadlifts. But that's interesting because nutrition was a big part of our first year together. Yeah. We both decided to diet the first yeah. year we were together. Yeah. And having said that about my total with the sauna cut, my numbers and my training was astronomical that year because I was hitting my protein goals. I was actually getting enough protein, which in the past I was not. I know. I know I was. I was arbitrarily having like a protein scoop with my pre-workout. I'd have a case and shake at night. I had three square meals, but there's no way that I was getting as much protein as it was when, mm -hmm. with you. When you track it, you realize mm -hmm. how much. Yeah. So I, I developed, you know, I was getting enough protein. I was, I started thinking about macro timing. So like carbohydrates before my workouts, I loved having my bowl of cereal before my, my big heavy powerlifting workouts. Uh, and then, on, you know, we would eat whatever, like whether it was a protein shake or whatever after, after the workout. So are you using a food scale? Yes. Cause I had brought mine, right? Yeah. 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 I think I want to say when you started tracking, I started tracking as well because I knew I was going to do raw nationals at the very least. So I guess I just didn't track the week that I met you. Cause after that. It was a while. I had, uh, to, get, so you're, I had yeah. to get my, cause I, I was a, a habitual track and weigh and measure everything. So I kind of went AWOL when I met you for a week, I guess. I don't think it was just the week because I feel like that trip was one. And then you came down again and it was the second time that we went to my mom's house. That I took you to cookout. Okay. We're getting really far off track. Yeah. 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 Okay. But so. Anyhow. Um, so, so macro nutrient, um, timing and amount, uh, pushed me to all of my current PRs. There you go. Yeah. Uh, every PR that I have right now, I set that year. Uh, so 650 squat, 427 bench, uh, 805 deadlift, um, all of those sub 195 body weight. Um, and I'm going to say it was because of the, you know, diet and, and the training like schedule, right? Like we would wake up, have breakfast together. I'd train, I'd go work for, you know, six hours and I come back, we eat dinner together watch some TV and go to sleep, right? So, like, we were living an athletic lifestyle, too. Mm -hmm. uh, which, again, that was, like, the first time for me as well. And I'm sure my cortisol levels were lower because, like you said, 
we're, I'm in a brand new relationship with this girl who I am absolutely positive is 100% perfect for me. So, yeah, I, I think like a lot of factors lined up that year for very beneficial performance um, changes. And I'm looking forward to re-entering the powerlifting scene officially. And my goal is to do a bodybuilding show on a Saturday and a powerlifting meet on Sunday. And at the powerlifting meet, I want to total 10 times my body weight. So so eat your chicken and steak. Mm-hmm. All right. So nutrition has become a part of living your athlete lifestyle as a powerlifter. Because no matter what sport you're wanting to do, um, I think the more components you have that facilitate good training sessions and good, yes, good output. Yeah. You'll, you'll reap the benefits of it. So you may not to need to count every single macro as minutely, like detailed as a bodybuilder um, who's like scraping to get those, those, mm-hmm. un, those crazy levels of body fat, but um, being intentional, yes. I think is the message here. Yeah, because powerlifters are generally not gonna have to cut to, you know, paper thin skin. Right. Right. So, and that's where that, like, the exactly precise macronutrient counts come into play. Correct. Because we're trying to maximize our lean muscle mass retention while also maximizing our fat loss, mm-hmm. um, which is a very tedious line to walk. Um, I I like it. I've been enjoying it recently. I've been enjoying seeing myself lean out. Um, and, and it's also kind of beneficial for me that I'm just starting to squat heavy again. So, my squat numbers are still going up. It's not like it's coming down because I'm dieting. And I'm getting weaker. I'm actually just getting stronger in my squat because, like, up until my show in July, I had, like, three leg days all year. So so my legs are, I'm going to say they're deconditioned and mm-hmm. they're, they're primed for growth right now. Sure. I'd say. Um, but, yeah, the, the nutrition aspect really, if you're a powerlifter, I would just suggest that you weigh yourself. On a regular basis, doesn't have to be daily, but on a regular basis, and track your protein intake. Make sure you're getting enough protein, at least a gram uh, of protein per pound of body weight per day. Uh, and I actually aim for like 10 or 15 or 20 over that. So like right now I'm weighing 189, and I'm aiming for like 205 to 210 grams mm-hmm. of protein. So I'm, my my calories are super low too. I mean I'm at like 2,000, 2,100. Um, so that plays a role. Like you kind of bump your protein up when you get low calories. Um, well, you can. Yeah, you can. You can. But, uh, which which we didn't. We actually just kept it the same. Correct. Right? I've been trying to hit 210, and I've just been getting lighter. I've been trying to hit 210 since I was 200 pounds. So. Well, I think that's what happened. Like, as your body weight goes down, your the actual calculation of protein per gram of body weight becomes higher. Yeah. So if you can maintain yeah, that protein yeah. content... You're in pretty good, especially mm-hmm. for the aesthetic goals that you have set. Um, yeah, and we can go into why later. Yeah, that different podcast, but I would but. say for me, um, coming from a sport where all the detail, like those fine little details of nutrition matter, um, it actually was refreshing to be partnered with somebody that was a little bit more relaxed with and not completely. It wasn't like okay, babe, I'm going to have IHOP and then McDonald's and then we're going to have like a tub of ice cream. Is that cool? Like it was, you had uh, a standard of nutrition that you wanted to set, but outside of like 
prepping for a bodybuilding competition, it was healthy for me to see uh, a more relaxed approach mm-hmm. to calorie intake. Um, and you actually had made the suggestion of like, what, what what do you think about just tracking protein and tracking calories? I remember you uh, suggesting that to me and I thought my head was going to fall off my body. Again. I was like, that <laughs> makes no sense. Why would anyone do that? I'm a bodybuilder, stay in your powerlifting lane. Um, but then I did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was tired of, tra- I was so fatigued of just using the mental energy to track worrying about everything. every gram of fat and car. And, like there's a time and a, a place for that, mm-hmm. but I was never relaxed because I was always trying to calculate everything. And so like actually knowing that outside of a show and a, a prep dieting phase that I could have a little bit more leniency and it didn't have to just like even refeed meals were calculated and tracked okay i'm gonna have exactly this many calories over these are the sources it's gonna come from i couldn't go to a restaurant and just sit down and enjoy something it was like a mind game Mm -hmm. and so uh that's where i think like a little bit more of a a relaxed approach that came from you know your experience with powerlifting actually benefited me as a bodybuilder because like we had mentioned earlier cortisol levels and stress can come from anything and perceived stress so my nutrition did not need to be a source of stress for me especially in a building phase well and that's the other aspect right so what so that made it so that you weren't ready to prep again because you still burn out yeah Yeah. you're already feeling like you're you've been in prep all year already and now you have to cut calories too yeah so it just uh, i feel like it gives you the potential of really um alleviating that stress so that you're mentally prepared because then like we talked about you're seeing the blurred lines you're going to want to start cutting anyway but mm-hmm. because you don't have the mental stress from from your off season of having to track everything you're more mentally prepared and ready to dive back in and you know grab the bull by the horns again right. so to speak yeah yeah and then that yeah, that has carried over into you know i've competed this year working with a prep coach that allows for actually encourages yeah. And then I have TCA and balance, yeah. Coach Paul really encouraging person. me to not be perfect and just relax a little bit with nutrition. Which she's doing great with, by I, the way. Try, it takes effort. Mm-hmm. When you're a perfectionist and you're used to something a certain way, it takes a lot mm-hmm. to let go. You feel like you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Or you're breaking the rules or I'm letting my goals out of my sight. And that's not true at all. Like, um, like I said, time and place for everything. So, yeah. And, and like you said, your body sees all stress the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're stressing about your food, that cortisol, cortisol is catabolic. You're not building as much muscle as you can. Mm-hmm. So every single time you're stressing about something, just remind yourself, um, I'm brooding my gains. <laughs> oh, gosh. So. Yeah. so that's the third aspect, the third leg of how, um, you know, power building is beneficial for, you know, bodybuilders and powerlifters, right, is the mentality. Mm-hmm. So we have the training aspect. We have the nutrition aspect um and the mentality so so yeah we kind of joked around tongue-in-cheek earlier about the powerlifting diet for the bodybuilder but that you you need that in the off season right you need to have that more relaxed nature so that you can put more focus on other things yes and and generally speaking it's going to be your training and we want to be able to push as hard as we can in the gym during these months because like you also mentioned when you're depleted you can't you can't push as hard Mm -hmm. so we got to build as much muscle as possible so that we have as much muscle as possible to hold on to for your dieting phase. Yeah, I definitely think there's a, a mentality mm-hmm. aspect that's different for 
a power lifter and a bodybuilder. I think that they both come with a strong will to achieve goals. Um, but the pendulum swings in like both directions. You can get too far into the like hyper focused, mm -hmm. and then it becomes a stressful activity in your life, and you don't want to do it anymore. Or you can become too relaxed, and you lose focus of where you're going. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not saying that bodybuilding is always hyper focused and powerlifting is always too relaxed i think that happens for anybody in either sport yeah. well like i said i mean i was too focused on my powerlifting yeah i was doing squat bench and that's go. not yeah. all i was doing right i would do like two or three other exercises and you look at some of the elite lifters and that's what they said i did anyway so like i don't necessarily know that i was doing anything wrong but i hurt myself so sure. I, was, I was doing something wrong yeah um but yeah and i think too like each sport sometimes takes on the characteristics of a certain type of person mm -hmm. like uh and i think that you can have both so you can be really strong and look really good and i think that's something that a lot of males look for and women are more fearful they're more mm -hmm. fearful of the strong component because yeah, they think blocky yeah, they want to look good, but they're really afraid that I'm going to get build too much muscle. I'm going to look like a man. I'm going to have giant traps and huge waists. And yeah, they they can all go talk to Brett Contreras as athletes, I, hip thrusting 700 pounds. It's wild. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that maybe we should touch on as far as like what power building looks like for a female. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, because there is a huge stigma, right, um, with you know how females should look. And mm -hmm. when they don't look a certain way, um, you know, they feel a certain way about it. Sure. And, and that's all going to be like societal norms. Um, I'm going to say it's self-imposed because if you don't care about anyone else, then you don't care about anyone else. But, sure. you know, that's it, it's also easier said than done to right. just not care. Right. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that I wanted to remind everyone how hard it is to build muscle. OK, yes. you want bigger glutes as a girl. How long have you been working for those bigger glutes and how much bigger have they gotten? And you're worried about what getting too big too fast. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know what I mean? Something that you're not even going to actively try to build. You think is going to get bigger than you want it to get. So that's usually the first way that I approach this. Um, strong does not mean big and blocky. Correct. You know, and if you actually look at powerlifters, the goal of their training is strength without mass added strength without added mass because then that's going to make it harder for you to fit into your weight class mm -hmm. so for me personally the past couple of years my training has has been me trying to build into the 90 kilo class because oh man that last cut to 83 kilos it hurt you know it it, it that was my last cut to we 83. also got a yeah. dexa yeah we got a dexa yeah. and saw where his lean body mass was and we weren't revisiting that number again. <laughs> yeah, so which is funny because now I'm like 189, but like we talked about, I haven't been working legs very much. Correct. So I've lost some pounds of muscle in my legs and my mm -hmm. lower body so that we can kind of even out the proportions. Uh, and now right. I have more up top. But um, okay, so for me, that was a little different because I was trying to build into the next weight class up. And obviously, if anyone else is trying to do that, that's going to be their goal too. But for by and large, powerlifters try to increase their lifts without increasing their body weight. Uh, and doing that it's it's a lot of neuromuscular adaptation um it's a lot of technique proficiency so just learning how to do something better 
and then being able to replicate that exact technique um, in the proficient manner that you have learned to execute it in. So um, there are a couple different aspects there, but as long as you are being intentional with your lifting and you're not just arbitrarily throwing as much weight as you can and recruiting whatever muscles you need to recruit in order to move that weight, uh, as long as you're being intentional, you're not going to have any adverse side effects from lifting heavy. You're going to build the muscles that you want to build and that's it. So, you have something? No, you're doing a good job. Oh, okay. It looked like you want to say something. Um, so, yeah, just that's, that's really what it boils down to is just be intentional. Put maximum effort to your compound lifts and then carry over that same maximum effort to your accessories and make sure that you're maintaining torso rigidity so that whatever muscle you're trying to isolate is properly anchored. Mm -hmm. um, if your muscle is not properly anchored, you're going to work more than that one muscle. You might still work that muscle, but you're not going to work it as efficiently as you could be working it. And you're also going to be working other muscles. You're going to be putting more mileage on your body than is necessary. Um, so this intentionality just like it compounds like compounding interest, right? Like not only are your gains multiplied, but your body doesn't feel as beat up at the end of the day, you know? So like, I feel like I make pretty decent progress for the amount of effort that I put into the gym, but it's because I'm putting so much more mental effort into my lifts than the average lifter. It's not even funny. You know, there's, there's no comparison. And I think there's degrees of power building depending on who you are and mm -hmm. the sport that is like most near and dear to your heart. So for women, you can have the big three in your programming. You should. You should have. But that's not necessarily, I mean, that's not all you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you are still putting in work that's sculpting your physique. Um, but. And again, if you're intentional about what's being activated, you are truly chiseling. You're sculpting because you're mm -hmm. choosing what muscles are being worked. And when. When you reach that level, when you're able to specifically choose, I want to work my lower lats with these pull-ups versus I want to work my upper back with these pull-ups. Man, when you can do that, it's a complete game changer for your training. Complete. I think, too, the varying of rep ranges and loads and even like eccentric work, having that intertwined in compounds lifts, um, I know because we were just kind of like focusing on women it it brings you the best of both worlds so you're a strong individual walking around um you're not doing tons of work that's going to build just like a blocky frame um but i will tell you from personal experience since i've been on the pro stage recently these bikini athletes you know the smallest of the female bodybuilding athletes at the pro level they're walking around like they're muscular oh my gosh the abs the lat thickness the shoulder development what you see on a picture or what you see on the screen is not what you see in person mm -hmm. it, it was like eye-opening to me i have never felt so small and petite in my entire life and if i post pictures i look like really proportionate really big there's ways to make your physique look a certain way on social media in a still shot but being in person, like looking at these people in person, like that girl has a lot of muscle or that girl has does not have a waist that's two, like two inches around. She actually has solid obliques. And if she is like straight on, 
she has abs yeah. like she has a like a waist it's not completely diminished Issa. quad splits <laughs> no one has a waist yeah. like isa isa's <laughs> untouchable in her waist um but that was my my point is that that told me looking at these physiques like wow i need to work on that i need to work on that i have so much more room before i even get close to looking like a monster or a man or like blocky and huge like that is hard to achieve yeah and um so like gen pop people i would not stress at all mm -hmm. i think another thing that people get afraid of is where their body fat distribution is for a woman yeah. they think i have really big legs yeah. i don't want to train legs you may just carry more body fat in your legs and, because i see that disconnect when people are looking at entering into bodybuilding they're like i got really big legs i should be a wellness competitor that's not necessarily true you might just carry more body fat in your legs that doesn't mean there's muscle there and in the sport they're judging muscle yeah let's see what's in under there first right so just be careful when you're doing your body assessment and just because you have body fat in one area doesn't mean you shouldn't train it or people do the opposite and they overtrain it yeah they're like man i just don't want to have fat in my inner thighs i'm going to do the adduction machine forever and ever and ever i'm raising my hand because i used to be one of those people and then got away from it because i wanted to bring because i thought that i was making my legs too big and both ends of the spectrum are not helping yeah get the, the physique that you're looking for those nice slender legs full glutes i mean i think most women want to so, and you don't have to have slender legs you can have really big jacked legs it's not how big you are it's how big you look Right. <laughs> yeah so how do we train adductors now you want me to talk about it? yeah so it's for strength right we're not doing a bunch of hypertrophy work we're not doing rep after rep we are we're using adduction the adduction the seated adduction machine we're doing pauses in the open position to open up the hips to make it a little easier for your glute meds and glute max to to do that abduction external rotation um, and we're doing stuff like Copenhagen adductions to where your adductors are being, uh, stimulated to stabilize your pelvis, which is body weight. Yeah. So, and, and because at the end of the day, that's all we need them for. Mm -hmm. They just need to be strong enough to stabilize your pelvis with however much weight you want to hip thrust. So, yes, because when I didn't train adductors and try to hip thrust, and I still experience some of this as I'm reaching heavier loads, my legs cannot stay still they just vibrate back and forth because those muscles that hold my hips in place are so weak and my glutes are more they're stronger because i've been training them longer i've now reached a plateau of how i can't train my glutes anymore because the rest of my muscles are like forget it we're yeah, out yeah sorry i cut you off no it's okay that's perfect yeah because that's exactly the problem is is we start to see you know this kind of decline in in your performance in the lifts that you want to be mm -hmm. making progress in um so yeah so that's again going back to the intentionality that we utilize here um yes you're going to train your entire body uh but when you see an athlete whose entire body is conditioned looking their look at their training regimen and they're training their entire body correct um now we've kind of talked about this this is another thing that you've uh kind of railed to me against but um you're so smiling like you're about to get in trouble spot fat training yeah <laughs> you know that has crossed my mind a lot actually there's go ahead you can no go ahead well 
the whole theory of just like I talked about getting on the adduction machine. To you can't do a bunch of crunches to, to get rid of your belly fat. Right. Yeah. Or I'm just going to train this area of my body so that it burns all of the body fat away in that specific area. Um, there, I've never seen really a solid scientific study that says that that actually works. Um, there has been some studies that have come out that have been a little bit conflicting in edging towards the point that you actually can reduce fat deposits in an area where you are training that muscle group. Again, there's nothing concrete and yeah, it's, so it was a lot of debate. Yeah, I want to say it was Jeff Nippert. He talked about a study that kind of wasn't Jeff Nippert. I've heard Paul. I think Paul. I don't know. There's there's a study or two, uh, but here's what you have to remember about studies. It's generally done in either untrained, like general population individuals. Um, it's very hard to find athletic studies, and this may have been an athletic study, um, mm -hmm. but the the data that they got from it was, uh, I'm gonna say, um, scientifically inconclusive. You know, they said, but anecdotally speaking, I have noticed that when I start to get lean, I, the last places I lose body fat are the places that I don't work as often as the other places. So the very first place I'm going to lose body fat is my arms and shoulders. That's most men, right? Like Correct. The, there are guys walking around with beer bellies and striations in their delts because they work with their arms and shoulders all day. And they have poor scapular control and they're not using their back muscles. So their delts are getting that entire workload. Uh, so every single day they're doing like 500 reps of whatever they're doing and they're getting nice defined arms and shoulders. Um, for me, I've noticed that my midsection or my legs lean out last. And now generally speaking for a guy, your midsection is gonna lean out last, okay? That makes yeah. sense. And low back. Mm -hmm. But what really started to open my eyes up was this year, the amount of fat that was still on my legs when I went on that stage in July. Um, and as because, like I said, I had not been doing leg day. I, I would do one every once in a while. I would hit the leg press, you know, just to like kind of make myself feel good, I guess, you know, an ego boost. I can fill it up in a plan of fitness. Um, but I was not hitting leg day like I normally do. And now that I am, my legs are leaning out so fast. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, now, my theory is that these muscles need, and especially in a deficit, they need energy, right? Obviously. So first, obviously, they're going to go to glycogen stores. They're going to go to blood uh, glucose. And then they're going to go towards, like, fat, like oxidative, you know, the Krebs cycle. Um, and Krebs cycle. And I would imagine that it would be most efficient to get that energy from fat stores that are right next door to that muscle being worked. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Now, if you are 30% body fat, you are not going to spot train anything. Okay, <laughs> nothing. Okay, so get in your kitchen, develop your meal plan, figure out what you're going to do, yeah. lose your body fat, get down to like single digit body fat am amounts. Okay, for guys, for girls, like I'm going to say like low teens. Um, that's pretty lean. Low teens is pretty lean for girls. Yeah, but that's where I think that you're visually going to actually see these spot training effects. Sure. You know what I mean? Like... So for some of our girls uh, specifically, um, you know, like you talked about, the, the posterior chain, like the glutes and the hamstrings, is always the last part of the condition to come in. So we've started putting a little more work uh, in trying to tighten that up. Uh, so, But not just for this anecdotal spot fat training theory. 
but more so more so towards like muscle activation and hip control so that we can actually position our body exactly the way we want to position it uh to best showcase our physique on stage um so there's i do some stuff that is not necessarily accepted uh as like factual and i understand that um my last job at the r&d lab is an engineering facility i'm not an engineer uh I still developed processes that we ended up patenting and they're still being used by the military today. So, well, I think people really can sometimes lean on science too much in sports, mm-hmm. but you have to remember that science is about experimentation. Yeah. That's the root of where it is. So you should be pushing the envelope, trying new things. That's, that's part of what science is. It's not just hard and fast facts. This is what the study said. So this is what we need to do. Trust the science. Uh, yeah, there's, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, there's just a lot to it. So, yeah. um, well, I think that we have expanded on this. Hopefully we've done power building justice. Um, we've really talked about a lot of different things here. Is there anything you wanted to conclude with or any other points we missed? I don't think so. Yeah, All right. I think we covered it. Yeah, I think this is really good. Uh, so if you, hmm, how do we want to outro this? So like and subscribe, whether you're on a podcast platform, YouTube platform. That'd be helpful. Uh, yeah, yeah, it really helps us out. Uh, if you give like a review on a podcast platform or a comment on like YouTube or whatever, uh, that really helps us out. Um, my Instagram handle is longshotgamble, all one word, Chris's is chris nicole underscore ifbb pro and our business instagram is reckless underscore training yeah on instagram so you can feel free to message all of those yep yeah reach out to us if you have <laughs> any questions i love doing forum reviews so if you have a video you want to send over squat bench deadlift any kind of accessory movement uh, hip thrust, lat pull down, pull ups, doesn't matter. Send me a send me a video. I'll send you a loom review on it. Let us know what you want to hear, what you like, where what thoughts you want to hear from TCURI. Yep. We're here to help. Uh, just contribute to the fitness industry. Again, these are all of our thoughts and theories, and there's more than one way to skin a cat. But hopefully, uh, you did learn something from this podcast. So if you like it, uh, let us know. Yep. And just remember, work hard, stay humble, stay hungry, and train reckless.